Salvador Bahia in Brazil is the place where you can most experience African culture on this side of the Atlantic. Of the 12 and a half million Africans brought to the Americas in the transatlantic slave trade, nearly half of them went to Brazil, with the highest concentration being in Bahia. My family and I had the opportunity to experience the music, food, religion, martial arts, and dance of African culture resolved to thrive in a new land. Isako Costa works in tourism in Salvador. He joins us to talk about the African diaspora and Salvador on this episode of The Parlay in All Blue. Isako Costa, welcome to The Parlay in All Blue. How are you, my friend? It's been a while since I've seen you. Hi, Mark. I'm happy to be here with you today. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Share all my experiences and talk a little bit more about my my hometown, Salvador. Talk about my my state, Bahia. So it's going to be a great pleasure to to share experiences. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And you know, for everyone who's listening, Izako was our guide and just showed us around my family when we visited Salvador and Bahia a couple of years ago. And I was so fascinated by the city's history, but also the food and the culture and everything. And I think it's a wonderful place to visit. So we'll just talk a little bit about it. And our show is about history and living well and culture and all of that. So Salvador has it all. Tell us a little bit, though, about Salvador, because, you know, I think when people think of the New World and major cities in the New World, you may think of Havana, you may think of New York, Kingston, you may think of, you know, a lot of cities, Rio even, in Brazil. But Salvador has a rich history, too, and a rich present. Salvador, it's uh, it's a marvelous place. You, you know, it's a city that's uh, full of magic full of history, vast culture. It's an intense city. And uh, Salvador actually is the, is the capital state of Bahia. Bahia, as you know, is the place where Brazil was discovered. For example, I'm traveling around the state of Bahia and uh, I've been in Porto Seguro. Okay. Last night I was there working. I have some other opportunities of working in different places. So I've been in Porto Seguro, which is about 500 miles away from Salvador. But it's a fascinating place with nice beaches and the history is all in this place as well. So here everything started. You know, Salvador, it's a city that has over 3 million people. And uh, it's a place where we can see the essence of, of Brazil, I mean. You're right, right. right? It's, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I, I think one of the things that is lost on people in the United States when they think about the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade or what have you, we tend to think about what's, what happened or in the effects in the United States. But of the 12 million Africans who came over during the Middle Passage, 
half of them went to Brazil and Salvador was a major, major port and a very African city still to this day because of that. So let's just go back to, I I don't like starting in a place like that, but I think it's important to understand where we are. Salvador was a major port for the transatlantic slave trade. That's correct, right? Yes, that's correct. Actually, what makes the Salvador so important at this timing was the idea that Portuguese, they wanted to go for the spices. They were looking for spices. And being like neighborhood of, of the Spanish, because the great expansion on the sea were done by those two countries. And they, of course, they were concerned about being in trouble with each other, like conflicts, and they decide to sign a kind of treaty, a deal, when they line the word and they divide it. Yeah. And one side, everything supposed to be discovered will be Spanish. I mean, the left side of the line. The right side of the line will be Portuguese. So, and that's the the way that Brazil was discovered. First of all, though, they they be in America. They discovered America in 1492. Columbus was near what nowadays we have Bahamas. And then in this moment, so they were afraid of having conflicts and they decided to make this treaty. So then in 1500, Brazil was finally discovered by Portuguese. In April 1500, exactly in Porto Seguro. And then because of the topography, basically, Salvador was chosen to be the first capital because Américo Vespucci was the man responsible for settling all the coast of these new lands. And because of this, uh, they gave the names of saints, you know, in different points as rivers, capes, gulfs. And in the middle of his trip, he found a great bay, a giant bay. He thought it it was a river, but this bay was discovered the day of all saints. And that's the reason why the name of our bay in Salvador is All Saints Bay. In the middle of the the trip, being with a very interesting bay, and knowing that inside that area, they had opportunity to build up a city as a fortress, because this was the request of the King of Portugal. Salvador was basically very uh, similar to Lisbon, the capital of Portugal. And that's the reason why the first governor of Brazil was convinced to entering in the bay. And in that moment, he saw that plateau, that mountain, let's say, where nowadays we have a beautiful elevator, which is basically the first urban elevator in the world. Really? In in Salvador? It's in Salvador. So we have the elevator that connects lower city, where the harbor is, with upper city. So basically, Salvador was chosen to be the first capital because of the position, because of the topography. And then we had, in this moment, the great expansion with sugarcane, because this was the monoculture, as the Portuguese said. They wanted to plant something to make some profits, because actually the idea of the Portuguese was trying to go to Asia because of the spices, as I said. Knowing that the spices, just to have an idea about prices, for example, about value. I'm talking about pepper, 
I'm talking about nutmeg. I'm talking about cinnamon. Talking about clove. Yep. And uh, for 60 kilograms of pepper at that timing, I'm talking about the end of 15th century, beginning of 16th century. 60 kilograms of pepper was equivalent of 52 grams of gold. Wow. Wow. So was too much, let's say. So yeah, one, yeah. one kilogram of, of, of cinnamon was equivalent of 10 grams of gold. So that's why they were crazy to find those spices. Yeah. And, of course, crossing the world with their big boats, Bartolomeu Diaz crossed the Cape of Good Hope in 1498, and then he was trying to find a better way to go to Asia. Then that's the reason why, for example, the first Portuguese colony in Asia was Goa in India. Then Macau, China, Malaysia. So the expansion was big. And in the moment they were in Brazil, they need to protect the area because lots of invasors were coming here. The first one were the, the French people. Yep. So French were here since 1502. And also with the Portuguese, they found something interesting. It was a very dark color of wood. And when they were about to land and they were seeing all these woods in the area now coast, they had the impression that everything was kind of burning because the sun was touching the hill and then they were thinking they, are, they were vibrating like ash. So when you have fire, you have ash. If you translate the word ash into Portuguese, you have the word brasa. And that's the reason why the name of our country is Brazil. Got it. Got it. You know, something that I think is uh, really interesting and I would tell people, you know, as you're going through this episode and just that whole idea of all of this being, you know, just a business enterprise at the beginning. It really wasn't nations. It's Portugal and Spain trying to figure out how to carve up things without killing each other, the Spanish and the Portuguese without killing each other. And they turned to the church and the help to sort of divide things. And I think what's interesting is, is that if you just look at a map of South America, it's almost just two different business models. So with Brazil, the Portuguese to the east, they almost ran a centralized business, meaning just one sort of boundary, one sort of rule, whereas the Spanish, you know, with different places of Chile and Argentina and Peru or what have you, they almost had like a franchise model. And I think we have to use those terms just so that people understand that this was um, about just business and it wasn't exploration for a human rights mission. It was for business uh, for sure. So thank you for that. And then I think one other thing that's really important and you can see this and, and hear these stories if you visit Cuba and in Brazil is that France's sort of entry point into this was state sponsored sort of pirates, right? The whole idea of the pirates and paying people to evade and what have you. That was a big thing with the French starting off. Exactly. We had this kind of situation here and they were, you know, making a big trade of, uh, of that kind of wood. There was a great demand on this at this time. And basically French were finding expel from Brazil. They moved to the north. They went to San Luis, the island, and then they moved and created the French Guyana. So if you look at the map of, map of South America, you see exactly, let's say, this kind of migration. They were moving from Salvador to San Luis, 
uh, is the capital of the state of Maranhão in Brazil. And from there, they move and create the French Guiana. So then, I mean, Salvador, with the, the, with the number of people trying to invade this area, we have to divide Brazil in 15 cities. Okay. We nominate those captaincies, hereditary captaincies. So Portuguese people, families were moving to Brazil and they have a specific area in our coast. They have to look after not having foreign boats invading and they have the rights to explore. So they could explore with sugarcane because basically the type of soil we have here is the same type of soil they have in West of Africa. Because in, 49, in 1442, uh, the Portuguese were exploring sugarcane in Azores and Madeira, and they were using Africans to work in these farms. And they did the same kind of thing in Brazil. So basically, Brazil, it's actually, you know, not so many people know that Brazil is the second largest country with Africans in the world. Because basically, the first one is Nigeria with 190 million. But Brazil has a population of 220 million people. And 56% of that is composed by Afro-descendant. So basically, we have more than Ethiopia, which is the third one. You know, basically, Brazil, it's a big African area. And Salvador is even bigger than that. Because basically, Salvador has about 82% of population composed by Afro-descent. That's right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I'm glad you said that because, again, as an American and, listen, I'm a student of history and a lot of fine things out. But, you know, I didn't really realize how vast things were in, in, in terms of number of Africans all over. And I'm glad you used that word use the term Africans because, you know, whether we're speaking English, Portuguese, or Spanish, or what have you, and, you know, matter of citizenship, you know, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. That's a fact. There's no doubt about that. But we are African. And I think in Brazil, you can definitely see it and hear it and taste it and all of those things, even to this day. Give us some of that sort of African influence that still exists in Salvador and in Bahia? Wow, that's a lot of things. You know that. <laughs> Salvador, it's a place that you can see this kind of thing everywhere you go. When we talk about uh, the miscegenation of people, of races, you know, here is the place where everything started. So you have the mulatus. Mulatus is the mixing between the African and the European. Mameluku is the mixing between the European and the natives, the Indians. Okay? And Kafuzu is the mixing between the African and the natives. Right? So when we talk about African influence, we have to talk about many different things as candomblé. We have to talk about the food. We have to talk about capoeira. I'm going to, of course... We have a list of things, and I'm going to, of course, talk a little bit about all those right. things to make you clearly understand this. Actually, candomblé. Yeah, let's start with candomblé. Yes. Okay. Candomblé, it's a religion with African origin, okay, that worships the Orishas. The Orishas are the gods. Actually, in Africa, 
it's a kind of monotheism, you know, uh, religion. So they worship only one God in Africa. When the they Africans moved to Brazil to work, and they uh, were forced to believe in those Catholic saints, and they were associating their home gods with the Catholic saints. That's what we call religious syncretism. This is something big we have in this place. A lot of respect. So by the time you were, you know, you are a Catholic person, you are praying for Santa Barbara, which is the, the, the God and the Catholicism that is protecting the rain, the storms. You have to automatically thinking about Ian Sun, which is the God in Africa, which represents the same the same power, let's say. So this is one of the things that's important to talk about because there is enough, as we have Santeria in Cuba. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Santeria is the same thing in Cuba, and you even have some people practicing Santeria in uh, Puerto Rico as well, but definitely in Cuba for sure. Yes. So the origin of the word candomblé comes from kimbundo, kimbundo word, which is candombe, dance with the drums, Right? Dance with the drums. Dance with the drums. And okay. the ile, ile, that's in Yoruba, that means house. So, candomblé means dance, house with drums. And and when you were saying ile, I'm translating, is are you saying Yoruba? What I would call Yoruba? Yeah, Yoruba ile. The word ile in Yoruba means house. And the word kondombe in kimbundu, it means dance with drums. Yeah, and I, 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 um, that sort of um, that playing out of continuing um, native religious practices found its way definitely into Candoble and, and it plays out in, even in a lot of places within there. We'll come to one specific place in the Church of San Francisco, but we'll want to get to that a little later. You mentioned Capoeira, Capoeira, Capoeira. I'm mispronouncing it. Yeah, yeah diff- some difficult words. I, I understand yeah. that. So Capoeira basically, it was associated with the slavery in Brazil, of course. This kind of martial art began by the 16th century. By the time, of course, the Africans were coming to Brazil. So in this period, Brazil was a colony of Portugal. So they had, they come to work in the sugar canes, the plantations and the mules, and the area near, for example, the surrounds of the bay and the and backside of the bay. We call this area Reconcavo because it's a concave area. I mean, the shape of the area behind the bay is named Hekunkaf. So that's the place where sugarcane plantation started in Brazil. So Capoeira was basically kind of uh, a struggle to express resistance into the slave quarters, right? So they created Capoeira in a way, for example, to protect themselves from the violence of this uh, and punishment of those Brazilian colonizers. And they, they, they managed to escape from those plantations and they were persecuted by the guys that we, we, we call Capitães do Mato, kind of slave chaser, which was designated by the capture of the runaway slaves. So this was a kind of thing that they were, of course, 
the fights were close to the slaves' quarter, also as a form of distraction. But uh, they were using this to protect themselves because this was a very difficult uh, way of dealing about the slavery was something very strong for them, and they were trying to to survive, you know, and to try to escape and to try to fight to protect themselves from those guys, from those captains do mato, from those the the own the plantations of the guys in, in in the area, you know. Yeah, and and it's a definitely a martial art, but it was banned for a while, right? Did the Portuguese ban it for a while? Yeah, was this kind of uh, of fight was not in in Brazil? Not only, of course, during the, the colonial times, the Portuguese, of course, didn't want this. There was a kind of marginality connection, and uh, during the period in Brazil, we had the same kind of situation up to the moment that one of the most important masters, named Bimba, he was making a presentation of capoeira with a group. And the former president of Brazil was during this meeting. And he was fascinating with that. Uh-huh. And he created a law that from that that timing, you know, ahead. So Capoeira was out of marginality. And then it became a sport. This is worldwide. You can see masters of Capoeira from Brazil and all over the world. So this is something nowadays that it's practiced in schools in Brazil Everywhere you go into the most important touristic place, but outside, you know, you have like special fortress that people used to have those meetings of masters or they have presentations or they have classes. We have, of course, specifically moments when it's, it's possible for the visitors, for example, to make special class for a week or for a month, whatever yeah. they need. So it's something interesting that we could maintain, we could keep this alive. Yeah, it's very African and also the beauty of it, you know, when it's practiced, it's like a dance. It can be disguised as a dance, but the the kicks are very, very powerful. And of course, the Portuguese not wanting the Africans to defend themselves, worried about that and, and went there. But you mentioned schools all over. There's schools that practice capoeira in Atlanta and, and, and everywhere. It's, it's really famous for sure. What about within the music and dance? You know, what's sort of the African influence there? You know, music, it's, uh, it's another thing. It's extremely important for us. It's the way we, we can talk to the visitors. It's a way to, let's say, to invite them to participate, to stay with us. And then we try to make them feel as Bahians are. Yeah, yeah. So we use these kind of uh, special rhythms that we created here in Brazil. Like we have samba. Samba was created by by the slaves uh, in in this area, by the Africans, you know, Samba, it's a term that comes from semba, which was commonly used by people to designate a type of dance where the dancer approach their bellies, making like uh, what we call umbigada, when they hit the bellies. So it, it started like this. It's something very interesting. And in some other people, if you go in dictionary and things like this, you find terms like saying to be excited 
or to jump for joy and things like that. And uh, we, we, when we talk about music, we talk about samba, we have to talk about the Afro-Brazilian music would directly connect with percussion instruments. So then we have to talk about groups as Ileaye. Ileaye was the first, uh, the first group and uh, with this kind of Afro-Brazilian directly connection with the instruments of percussion. This was created in 1974. It's very well known in this place, in Salvador, of course. But Olodum, it's something that's getting bigger and bigger. You know, actually, Olodum was founded in um, 1979. Okay. And is Olodum, are these samba schools? Is this a samba style, Olodum? What, what What is it? Samba, it's it's something that we have, for example, we have special groups that still play samba in Salvador. Although when we talk about samba nowadays, we, we think about Rio de Janeiro because of the samba groups there. Yeah. But we have the essence of samba. You can see when you go to the circles of samba in Salvador, we have a special place you can you can uh, enjoy this. You can you can make part of that. But the migration with this this timing, what we have the Afro-Brazilian groups, you know, being founded as Ileaye, as Olodum, as Timbalada, Malid Balé, so all those important groups here. And I would like to talk about Olodum, of course, because it's something, it's a group founded into the historical center of Salvador that we call Peloninho. Peloninho is the is the is the is the place where the city was. Constructed. That's the place we have all the protected area by two side doors. The front part we have the seventy-two meters protection, of course, by the wall. Where nowadays we have the elevator. And Olodum was created because they wanted to give the residents a leisure option, like doing something, an opportunity to play carnival in a group and with an organizing manner let's say, because basically in the past they were playing on the streets with, they were not so organized and they they decided to create a group with that idea. So they, instead of being only on the streets, I'm going to create a group because I won't be part of this. Got it. So it's just organizing, organizing what was already happening there. Now, Ola Doom in Salvador is very famous because of a very famous musician and came there to shoot a vid- video in Salvador with Ola Doom. Who was that? This was Michael Jackson. Yeah. This was fascinating the moment that it, it was in, in 1996. Uh-huh. Actually, Spike, Spike Lee, you know, has a great connection with Ola Doom in 1991 when uh, he met some of those percussionists of, of this group of Olodum while they were touring in the United States with Paul Simon. Because Paul Simon in 1990 started with the kind of touring with Olodum in, in the United States. And in this moment, the Spike Lee met those guys. He was thinking about putting Olodum in one of his films. You know, name it Clockers. Got it. Okay. But the idea, you know, it was not that moment, let's say. And he decided to put them in a video. 
You know, in that moment, Michael Jackson had that important song, They Don't Care About Us. Yes. Which was incredible to have this group playing this special song with that idea, with that message. So this was yeah. something very strong. And of course, we had to think about all of them before and after Michael Jackson. Because actually, Olodum was created in 75, and they were dealing with three children. The idea of Olodum was teaching those three children how to play, how to dance, how to sing, and how to make the instruments, the percussion instruments. So they are giving people, those you know, kids, those teenagers, opportunities to, to live well, to have a professional. Yep. That was the idea. So... The, the first idea of Olodum was organizing to give opportunity to the public of the Pelourinho to be part of a carnival. Then they they, were, they went bigger and bigger, so they decided to help people with their music. And then Michael Jackson just make this thing goes really, really, really high, let's say. In this yeah. moment, we have, we have a curiosity about that because when Michael Jackson recorded a video clip, because this video clip was recorded, and the favela in Rio, named Dona Marta. And part of the video was recorded at the historical center of Salvador in yeah. Pelourinho, in that big square you, you've been. Yes. And in the moment he was there, he invited one of those percussionists to play with him. Yeah, yeah. And the guy came very close, he was playing the drum. And, and then Michael Jackson was involved with this young guy, and the guy was named... Bida. Okay. The name of the guy. And after this moment, when Michael Jackson invited him to participate in the video clip, being with Michael Jackson, he's known up to nowadays as Bida Jackson. Bida Jackson. All right. Jackson. <laughs> so if, you, if you write this in, in any way you want, so Bida Jackson, you can have the picture of this man. Because this was a guy chosen by Michael Jackson to be part of the, the man like being close of the of the video. And all of them, it's uh, it's uh it's a group that uh, they still deal with those kids. They keep doing this kind of thing, but it was very well done after Michael Jackson's video. Yeah. And then the, the tours were all over the world, Japan, France. They keep going, of course, to the United States many times. Yeah. And the, the legacy, it's enormous. Because, you know, when you talk about percussion music in Bahia, the first thing comes to your mind, it's Olodum. Yeah. And it's thanks to Michael Jackson for that. Because actually, he gave, he gave to Olodum a great, a great different moment. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you can definitely hear in Brazil is the direct sort of African percussion style. You can hear it more directly in the United States and New Orleans. And then sort of it makes its way through the music, through jazz and then through blues and those kinds of things. But there's a direct connection that you hear in in South America and the Caribbean for many reasons that, you know, would be a whole nother um, podcast or what have you. But thank you for that on Ola Doom. Now, and also Salvador has uh, some great food for sure. What's the Marqueca? 
Markeka. I said that one correctly. Markeka, I hope. Yeah, that, that's the right, yeah. right way of saying that. <laughs> what is Markeka? Markeka, it's a special, a special dish from here. Actually, the origin is Angola. Okay, from Angola. Mm-hmm. Angola, yes. Yep. So the the word Mokeka comes from Kimbundo. Okay, Mokeka means fish stew. Fish stew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fish stew. So it, you can make this basic one with fish, but you can make a combination of seafood. I mean, you can make this with octopus. You can make this with uh, shrimp, or you can. Combine everything, you can put a what we call mariscada, which is a combination of seafood, moqueca. So it's something that's incredible. You have to try that once. Some, you, you, your friends that are hearing us, you know, it's, it's something different because you use coconut milk and palm oil. So it's a great combination, coriander, tomatoes, onions. So the taste is fantastic. With a fresh fish, it's something you you can't miss, actually. Yeah, no. So, and I will tell you that we made it when we got back to the United States, and it was good, but the ingredients that you have there locally and just, you know, the tradition of what have you makes it a very unique thing. While, while we're there, though, I, I do want to transition or, or maybe even go back to, to something and because... Brazil, like a lot of South America's, the primary religion is Catholicism, right? But then you have Condoble and Santeria and other sort of African religions that have maintained some existence and morphed or turned into to different things over the, the years. But there's a church there, San Francisco, that I found really fascinating, as fascinating as any in this hemisphere because of some of the, the carvings and artwork in there. Why don't you take take us through a little bit of that? Okay. The, the Church of St. Francis de Sees was built during this the 18th century, the beginning of the 18th century. Actually, it took over 50 years to be done. And of course, as most of the constructions we have here, the church was constructed by the Africans, right? Um, the different men that they constructed that was something fascinating because you can see the wood carving, it's fantastic. The way they use to make some of those elements inside the church because you have lots of elements of Greek mythology because there was a better way for the Catholics to teach people how to proceed, how to live well. So, and they were using those incredible statues and the way those Africans, they, you know, they carved this. Because, of course, we have to talk about this. The Africans, they came to Brazil. They were, they were from different areas. They came from Nigeria. They came from Benin. They came from Togo, from Ghana, from Senegal, from Sudan, from Congo. Yep. And the guys they were in here, they learn a lot. You know, they were not just working at the sugarcane plantations because we have some other demands and the guys were living near the big centers and they were working and they were learning a lot. So they, be- they became very good professionals. Some of them were good painters. Guys were carpenters. They have different side of uh, sort of uh, professional uh, goldsmith. 
it's something we have to talk about Bahia because here we have a great number of minings and we have beautiful gemstones and we still have lots of goldsmiths working in the historical center. And in that kind of church, you can see the brilliant job they did because they have over 800 kilograms of gold. It's incredible to see the way they, they, they construct that, that church. And, and 50 years. I'm talking about 50 years could be too much. I'm 49 years old. So my lifetime was necessary for that kind of construction. But imagine the number of, of statues we have there, the number of columns. We have gold leaf carved into plaster of Paris and wood. And then you have elements as leaves. You have uh, features of Atlantis and Scariatides. And we have lots of paintings, beautiful ceilings, many, many, many details. The church is fantastic. It's one of the most beautiful churches in Brazil, for sure, with sacred art. So we have all of those beautiful arts inside in a, in a great Baroque style. So it's, it's incredible to see the intensity of the Baroque style into that church, which is a great job of masters. Some of them, they came from Portugal. Some of them, they were already here, but they were all of them constructed by, by the Africans. Yeah, I, and when we were there, one of the things that I thought that was really notable was that some of the images or wood carvings there in the main sanctuary, they, they're much more African than European or Portuguese or, or what have you, or they, they fit something that you would see perhaps in, in, a, in a Yoruba ceremony or what have you. Not all of the carvings are what you would think of as in a traditional Christian sense. Actually, Mark, what happened in that kind of situation was the Catholic Church, they, they were forcing the, the Africans to believe in their saints. Although they were responsible for the construction, the Africans could not participate on the masses. And they were mad with that. And during the constructions of certain churches, they were inserting some images and they were giving them details, you know, that will clearly make you understand that those were representing the Africans. When you see, for example, the area and the side of the church, which is full of uh, Brazil's jacaranda, it's a kind of special wood from here. And you can see that the jacaranda is black. And in that moment, you can see the elements of the angels with the big bellies representing the value of the slaves at that time. And unfortunately, for the Portuguese, they were understanding that the women that had large hips, they could deliver it more. They can give more and more babies. In that kind of, uh, of statues, you can see the essence of the Africans. You can see big lips. You can see large nose, as I have, because I know that my great-grandmother was from Ghana. She came from Ghana to Brazil. She became a slave. So I, I have these African blood here. I have it in my trace. So you can see my nose. It's pure African. Yep, yep. And this kind of thing is very clear when you go to that kind of church. So they were fighting. They were very resilient. 
you know, because they were fighting, you know, there is a great struggle against this slavery trade, this slavery moment. You know, the Brazil, unfortunately, was the last country in all over the world to abolish slavery. Yes, the last country, 1888. 1888. So yeah. 23 years after the United States. Yeah. You know, so yeah. this is something, it's it's an absurd, but, you know, they were still fighting since the beginning. You have to understand that why Bahia is so different, because people here, they are not happy with the simple life. They want more. They want to, to feel the atmosphere, they want to, to go and, and enjoy, they go to dance, they go to, to play, they go to swim, they go to fish, they want to sail. People here is full of energy, you know, and they are, uh, they are very proud. When we say that they are very proud about this African influence in here, is when you see, for example, my shirt. I'm wearing a shirt for this video today, which has the word Ashe. Okay. Okay. Ashe is one of the many words in Yoruba that we have in Salvador. So it's important to talk about this because when we talk about Yoruba, we talk about the essence of Africa. So Yoruba, it's a living language, let's say. So it's spoken in Nigeria and the southern of the Republic of Benin and the Republic of Togo and Ghana. So over 30 million people you know, speaks their language. And in Brazil, we managed to maintain this in an expressive way. So the, the, through the liturgy of the blast ceremonies from those regions, of course, it becomes one of the most uh, important depositary of these traditions. And when we talk about words as uh, axé, what does it mean? Ashe means energy, means power, means strength. So this kind of thing, it's, it's important because we, we, we could maintain this. I'm thinking about being in New Year's Eve with a white shirt, and I'm going to write Modupe. Say it again. Modupe. It's M-O-D-U-P-E. Modupe. Modupe means thanks. For everything. Thanks for so everything. So we have to be grateful to, to be here today. As I usually say to my family, we are survivors as Africans. And this is something that uh, we, we have some other words that we use a lot in here. So you probably, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not pretty sure about that, but you probably try the akaraje. Remember akaraje? It's that... Uh, that food that you buy on the streets of Salvador with the Bayanas. Yes, yes, so, yes. Akaraje, it's one of those foods that came from, of course, came from Africa. Akaraje, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a favorite food of Ian's son, one of the gods from the African religion. So the word akara means fireball. And the word je is the short connection of Jeun. Jeun in Yoruba means eat and share. Eat and share. Okay. Eat and share. So akaraje, akaraje means eat and share the fireball. Why fireball? Because akaraje is made out of uh, 
black eyed peas, black eyed peas, onion, salt, and water. You take a spoon, and with a recipient with palm oil, you take the spoon, you make a ball, and you put in there, it's going to be covered by red color because the red color of the palm oil. So it's red outside and white inside. So you can put pepper sauce, you can put dry shrimp inside, you can put some other special things. So food here, it's fantastic. Yeah. So one of the things that, and I'm glad you said that, thank you so much for all of that, because I'm pretty convinced that the ancestors would come to Salvador and feel right at home. I do want to to switch gears just a little bit. So you said you're great-grandmother came from Ghana, okay? And so did your your family's lineage start there in Salvador? Did she come through the port there in Salvador? Yeah, we, we, we don't have so many informations about that, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I knew that they came from Ghana, my, my great-grandmother, and from my, my, my father's side. And then she married with a man which was a fisherman, and then it became with a family. And then my grandmother married with another fisherman. And then this guy didn't know how to swim. Imagine that. The fisherman that the fisherman didn't know, that how, to know how to swim. This was in Brazil. Yeah. In Brazil, you know, yeah. fishing <laughs> into a canoe. Imagine that. Uh-huh. But that's, that's how he fed 10 kids. There you go. You know, she was dealing with the home, you know, home thing, and he was fishing. My father, for example, one of those 10 kids, my father studied a lot, and he entered at the petroleum company in Brazil. So we had lots of interesting experience because when my, my grandfather was fishing, the kids were fishing on the shore, catching crabs, oysters, and things like this to eat during the day. Because, for example, when he was coming back at the end of the day, so the men, because there were five men and five women, the men were going to the beach waiting for him, and they were going house by house selling the fish, the part of the fish of my grandfather, you know, to buy, like, bones to make soup. So they, they only have soup during the nighttime. During the daytime, they eat what they catch in the beach. So the, the life was extremely difficult at that time, yep. you know, and that's my background. And I'm very proud of this because actually what we have, uh, which is very strong in my, in my personality, is to be very proud of being created by a family that teaches us the value of the things and not the prices. Amen. Amen. I, I love that. So this is something very, very very important for me. And that's, of course, I'm passing to my daughter. She's 17 years old and she's doing very well in life. Studying, that's the first thing we have to do. So to live well, for example, we have to have ambitions, of course, to respect people, but study. Because Brazil, it's a beautiful place to live, but we also have all different sort of difficulties. Yep. All different sort of of problems. And we have to, to deal with that. Every single day, it's a day after day. Uh, thank you for that. That's that. I really appreciate that, and uh, that's important. And that living well and having it be values and not measured in material things. I do want to 
end up as we come to a little close, just one more bit of a uh, taste of Salvador, if you if you will in, indulge us a little bit. What is carnival like in Salvador and in sort of the nightlife and beaches and that kind of thing? Okay, carnival. Carnival, it's, uh, it's a big thing. Yeah. You know, it's the most important moment of Brazil, let's say. Basically, not in all over Brazil because carnival, it happens in four, four big cities in Brazil at the same time, 40 days before Easter, right? Salvador, Recife, the capital state of Pernambuco is in the same region where we are, at the Northeast region, and Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro, which is in the Southeast region. So that's the place where we have carnival at the same time. But carnival in Salvador is different because you have to, to go back in, in the history. And when we talk about carnival, we have to think about the Portuguese brought carnival to Brazil as a kind of festival they call Entrudo. This was basically a kind of party formed by games, like getting people dirty and wet with water or lemon or flour, clay, wine, juices, everything, and things in state of decay, for example. So this was something not so well accepted by people, right? And by the end of the 19th century, things were changing. And basically, from France, the carnival arrived to Brazil in a different way with those beautiful costumes. It was a kind of party, especially into the clubs yeah. of Rio de Janeiro, which was the capital of that time. But when this kind of thing was imported to Salvador, it came in a different way because the majority of the population was black, is still black. And the majority of the population didn't have so much money to go into the clubs. So they decided to create their own customs and decide to have their own parties outside the clubs, into yep. the states. And that's what made carnival so different in this place. Because carnival nowadays is a big thing. Some people say it's a big industry. Yes. But carnival, it's very fair, let's say. Of course, we have to have infrastructure, for the ones who doesn't have money. I mean, the normal guys during carnival, they go outside the flows. We have carnival for the poor people that we call popcorn. Popcorn because they all the time jump in the side of the flow. Okay. You know, so you don't need to pay a ticket to be part of the group. We have to have a carnival for people who are into those flows, protected by security guards, so they pay for that. They have the same kind of uh, of costumes to be in that place as a kind of ticket, let's say. And they have a group of people playing for them, for everyone. And we have carnival for the guys who could afford to pay like uh, $300 a day and want to stay into the stages. As you can see, the famous camarotes in Rio de Janeiro. We have the same kind of thing in Salvador. But in Salvador, it's very fair because the poor people can participate. Got it. I'm 49 years old, as I said, and I never be into the floats of carnival. I prefer to stay outside. There you go. You know, because outside I can meet my friends. I can see many different musicians. I can see many different groups. 
of different floats and carnival is something really 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 big you know carnival yeah. is something go ahead, go ahead. I was just just say to anybody who's listening for sure I, I, you know one of the things that I would say to anyone is that Salvador feels a lot like home it's a very very warm place like you describe Lots of Africans. So when you're talking about black eyed peas, there's so many people <laughs> listening that can relate to that. Black eyed peas and onions. I think everybody can relate to that. So that's very good. As we wrap up, and you, you already told us what it means to live well. So thank you for that. Who, who, because Brazil's, of course, football, what we call soccer, who are some of the famous footballers from Bahia and from Salvador? So uh, the, the the guys from Bahia actually they were more in the past. Some of them were were champions. Uh, yeah, we have Aldair. We have the goalkeeper Dida that played in Milan. Okay, you know for a long time. So they were from Bahia. Bebeto. The you you probably remember that. Unfortunately, I have to say that yeah. when we play against United States in 1994, we were world champions. It was in 4th of July. The guy who made the goal against the United States was from Salvador. Okay. So we have famous players, of course, nowadays in the, in the first and the second division of, of soccer in Brazil. But we still have lots of good guys playing playing well here. All right. Well, Isako, I certainly appreciate you and, and listen for everybody who's listening that's a short amount of time. I have to tell you that you must put, first off, Brazil on your list to travel. And I understand going to Rio is great as well, but you will have the treat of your life in visiting Salvador. It's very, very warm place, extremely African, lots of culture, the capoeira, the dance, the food and everything and wonderful people like our guest, Isaco Costa. We appreciate you so much. Why don't you hang out a little bit as we go to announcements on the other side for everyone else. Thank you for joining us again on the Parlay and All Blue. We appreciate you here at the Parlay and All Blue. Please tell someone about us, share the podcast, make sure you leave a comment, you can find the Parlay in All Blue at Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, or Stitcher. Wherever you receive your podcast, you can find us there. Make sure that you add us as a favorite, follow us, or subscribe. Whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you're plugged in. We want to say a big thanks to DJ Market G for allowing us to use his music exclusively on our podcast. We appreciate it, bro. Much love. Thank you again. I'm out.